Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. We're a little bit under the weather today. Yeah, I guess I was sick last week while we were taping the show, and I did not realize it. I was in that dangerous, you have no symptoms, but you are a contagious monster. You did not sound sick last week. I did week. not sound sick. By the time I got to Friday morning, when I went to tape my serious show, it was problems. And I had mm. the very like, hello, and welcome to the trend line with Kristen Soltis Anderson. Right. And I was like, oh, something's wrong. Something is wrong. And then Saturday, I felt terrible. Like, and I've unfortunately conveyed this. We don't have a cough button here. Did you have a cough no. button? I've never, I, I don't I, think I've ever coughing. used a cough button. I was not coughing, thankfully. Um, but now I, I sound a little... Uh, Send a little off. And I've unfortunately, producer Richard has now He's got a cold sick. as well. So I feel like I'm probably responsible. I'm like going to spray Lysol all over Sorry. the microphone. Have you ever, I've never used the cough button. I always feel like somehow I'm going to mess it up. Like I if think I press I have it, once. then like something, some big sound will go off or I'll never come back on. It's actually <laughs> like a submarine siren. It <laughs> <laughs> like starts exactly. playing in the NPR studio and you're like, yes, oh, I want to yes. die. Because when you just look at it, you're like, that looks so handy, but I'm terrified of it at the same time. Does this button actually open a trap door underneath me and I will I know, fall that's through? That's a very rookie thing I'm admitting now. Um, anyway, um, so what are the top lines this week? Uh, civics education is struggling. America, you got to learn about the Constitution and other things. We'll talk a little bit about what states are doing a better or worse job at teaching people civics. Then we'll talk a little bit about Mr. 44% and some polling on the national emergency uh, that he has declared to get his border wall. The Oscar for top issue goes to... Well, we will open the envelope and hopefully not screw it up like they did it. <laughs> was that the Oscars last year? Moonlight mm-hmm. versus La La Land? Oh. Was that two years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, time is a blur. Uh, then we'll talk Don't about know. the 2020 polls and how they might influence things like the Democratic debates and what the field is looking like now. Uh, last week was Valentine's Day. Today we're going to talk about how people would feel if their child married someone of the other party, as well as some new polling out from Pew on teenagers and anxiety. And last but not least, it is the Oscars we will discuss. But I have one. I have to... I have one other piece of news. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, I leave the 18 to 34-year-old cross Ooh, tab behind. Right. It's your birthday tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Thursday or very early Friday, we will be on CNN tomorrow, mm-hmm. most likely, in case yep. you know, Inside something kind of non-polling related happens, which could happen. Um, I look forward to John King shouting me down as I... Just kidding. John King doesn't do that. <laughs> John King's a nice. John King's a nice host. We like John King. Um, Let's go to you. Now we'll go to you. Before we'll that, you. I will be on Morning Joe we'll for some some a, a round two of this morning's debacle. Anyways, we, I won't go into that. If if you're interested, find it on the internet. It, it's there. Uh, but yes, I leave the 18 to 34 year old cross tab, and I posted that today on Twitter, and people were like, "Well, you have to go around finding as many opt in polls as you can, and like <laughs> taking them. Like you have to take advantage of being in this cross tab and one to, last and time. To do what with that power? I don't. I, it's a it's an important cross tab. Does I, I mean I feel like tomorrow I'm no longer allowed be like to be like weighted up like 200 percent vote expert. I have to become America's foremost middle aged voter expert. People I have will be to like, shift what my whole she game. Know? She 
she's 36. Like, she doesn't know anything about us. I mean, look, I already feel old when I try to figure out, like, how to use cool fonts in my Instagram stories. Mm. Uh, so I already feel plenty old all the time. But, yeah, it's official tomorrow. I remember being a young baby pollster and having a joke that my boss at the time, were we going to change the break when you were just dividing age into under 45 versus over 45? Were we going to change it to under 50, over 50? And it was just a real gas, you know, back in the day when I had to go to the internet room to, you know, download the hotline by modem. Um, And then now... Now that, you know, it me now, right? <laughs> like, uh, yes, we are changing. <laughs> we are changing that breakout. Yes. Yep. But, um, but anyway, the time comes for everybody, I guess. So, yes. Happy birthday. Kristen sent her very civil tweets. Um, <laughs> Please don't RIP my benches. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about this Axios uh, chart. They've got data from the Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation that tried to assess people's knowledge of what the things that are on the U.S. citizenship test. Uh, and they ranked states by what percentage of people would get a passing grade. All you have to get is a D and you can pass. Uh, and Vermont is the only state in the union where a majority of people pass the U.S. citizenship test. Not people applying for citizenship, where presumably yes. you have like studied and but, stuff, but just broadly, like, yes, the base in knowledge general. in the state is a passing. Kentucky grade. and Louisiana look to be the places that struggle the most, but it's a lot of like the South and Appalachia have some some pretty rough rough scores on on this metric. But, but I mean, everywhere besides Vermont is below fifty percent getting a passing grade. Um, what are the kinds of questions? It's things like. Uh, who wrote the Declaration of Independence? Who was president during World War Two? Who was president during World War One? That one was. Which countries did we fight in World War Two? Mm, only fifty six percent knew that. Um, fewer than a third could correctly name three of the original states. Ouch. Yeah. Well, four out of ten thought Benjamin Franklin invented the light bulb. That feels. I don't know that that counts as like I don't, a citizenship question. That feels I mean, like yes, a gotcha question. Knowing key American inventors is important, but like Ben Franklin invented a lot of stuff. I mean, that's not like saying like I think Kim Kardashian invented the light bulb. <laughs> I mean, it's not correct, but it's not. I need like, a better light a, for my selfies. A dumb person. For, I don't know. I'm, I'll give people a pass on some of those. Yeah. Things. Um, anyway, but it's still interesting. And I, I'm always kind of a fan of these sort of abstract. Maps, you know, where the states are different sizes depending on whatever, whatever the data here, the states are all the same size, they're all kind of the same unit, but it just kind of makes for this sort of modern abstract America that America. looks like a pixelated, like right. te- Tetris level. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, so Trump job approval, real quick, his uh, his numbers have improved dramatically since the government I, reopened. I feel like if Richard would let us do it, we'd have some song like they do on um marketplace like you know when the market's up or when the market's down like stormy weather or happy days are here whatever it is they 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 play with what richard's writing well. something down <laughs> are, are we gonna get fun sound effects yeah yes sound or when effects. it's up or not <laughs> Are, are you hot or not? Yes. Yeah, so he said 44%. So, that, you know, last week we were like, wow, there's been a change from 
sort of the shutdown period, and that is still going on. His approval rating has continues to inch up a little bit to 44% approve, 53% disapprove. Not that those are good numbers. Nope. They're good numbers for him, mm-hmm. but they are not good, you know, historically speaking, they're still not good, right? And the one of the big things that has happened in the last week or two since the government has reopened is the president said, look, I will reopen the government, but I'm going to get my wall by calling a national emergency and using the powers legally available to me or in his mind legally available. The courts will decide there are people suing him and what have you, but using executive powers to get the wall in place. So on the one hand, you have Democrats who are not big fans of this, according to the NPR Marist College poll, only 6% of Democrats approve of President Trump declaring a national emergency to build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Independents, also not huge fans, 63% disapprove of declaring a national emergency to build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, when we talked about this, was it last week, I think? I think we talked about this, or maybe we didn't because there wasn't a ton of polling, but the initial polling on How would you feel if President Trump declared a national emergency? Had Republican support about two-thirds? It was lower than Republican support for the wall overall, which usually support for almost anything Trump likes gets about 85 percent support among Republicans. That's just like a number that pops up all the time. His job approval among Republicans and so on and so forth. So when it previous prior to him declaring the national emergency, when it was only at like 60 some percent support among Republicans, I was like, whoa, this is a this is an unpopular way to achieve an already unpopular policy. Right. But and I said this on TV, I said there's a chance that that number will change as Republicans come home. Like once Trump does it, then does they suddenly go, oh, well, Trump did it. So I guess I like it. And sure enough, the Marist poll kind of shows this 85 percent approve among Republicans. Right. Who's driving who? Is Trump driving the base or is the base driving Trump? Yeah. And I think it's that in this case, Trump took an action that was fairly I mean, it still had two thirds of Republicans approving before, but there's this like residual group that may have said like, oh, I don't know if it's a good idea, right. but they just sort of like if Trump does it, they're like, oh, but I like Trump and he did it. So okay. he clearly knows what he's doing. So now I like it. Sure. So <laughs> so if you do see numbers that show a slight uptick in support for the national emergency that is coming just that's like Republicans coming home. It's not right. that like the people outside of Trump's base um, are becoming more favorable to it. Yeah. And so there is there are similar numbers. So this is the results of you said, do you approve or disapprove of him declaring a national emergency? Similar numbers. They're not really that different on the question of is there an emergency at the border? 58 percent say there there is no emergency. Eighty four percent of Republicans say there is. That's not really that different from the numbers on how you what do you think of declaring the national emergency to approve or disapprove. So very similar. Um, 60% of independents say they want to see the declaration challenge in court. I mean, for all these things, God, the numbers are so partisan and independents are basically where the overalls are, you know, overall numbers are. Mm-hmm. Democrats are in one way, Republicans. I mean, it's the same. It's a very, you know, these are very partisan, partisan times and particularly on things like this. Yep. Um, well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit about the top issue in the minds of Americans and where we're headed in 2020. 
Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. And welcome back to The Pollsters. We are now going to talk a little bit about who wins for top issue. <laughs> this is a this is a question that gets asked by pollsters all the time. What's the most important problem facing the country? Um, my my understanding of the way this question has been answered over the last eh, two decades. And correct me if if I'm wrong on this, because this is like compiled from memories of a presentation I made like five years ago, plus contemporary data, is that prior to 9-11, most voters said that education was the top issue. Like that tended to be way up there on the list. And right. then 9-11 happened and you had the Iraq war and suddenly it was like foreign affairs and terrorism topped that list from 2001 until 2008. And then in 2008, you have the financial crisis and then the economy and jobs becomes the number one issue. And that sort of sustains itself all the way through until like the last year or two. The economy is getting better. As I think we talked about last week, a large number of people sort of feel like they're going to be better off next year, um, even if they disapprove of the president. Um, so now kind of the foreign affairs terrorism one has not risen back up. Education has not risen back up. The economy kind of remains there in like a second tier. But this issue of the government just isn't working. Congress, politicians, none of this is working. Is now, is this now, like this is um, up there. This yeah. is a top issue. Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things. Well, first of all, this is an open end, isn't it? Is this an open end? I think it's an open, yeah. For the way Gallup asks it. So an open, an open end is just, you know, what do you think? And then they code it. I don't know how their coding works, but it's coded based on what people say. So they could say something very long. They could say something short. They could just say immigration. They could say you know, something more detailed uh, on any particular part of the immigration issue and it would get coded as immigration. We don't know sort of what specifically about immigration or healthcare or any of these things that people are thinking of when they say it because these are just sort of the coded, uh, you know, handles. Um, and I've seen this poll before where you know, government dysfunction is like kind of tied with the economy or the economy is slightly higher than government dysfunction. Here you have government dysfunction is like way ahead of number two, which is immigration, then healthcare. Jobs in the economy are at the bottom of the list. Like they are way much farther down in single digits. Um, race relations higher. I, I, I don't think I've seen that mm -hmm. uh, race relations be higher than the economy. Unifying the country. I mean, these are actually not, you know, these are things that have some overlap. Government dysfunction, poor leadership, race relations, unifying the country. I mean, you, you could argue that those things are, are related. Um, lack of respect for each other is actually further down. So I, I think, you know, this this is pretty startling what people are, are thinking about here um, and how big these, you know, what the big issues are and how salient the sense is that, you know, things are not going well in terms of how our government is run and what this means for us as a country. Like, this is pretty, this is pretty serious. And D's and R's, both equally likely to say 
uh, government dysfunction. Yeah, I, and that's, I think, a key point if you're looking, if you're going way, way, way back and thinking about what, you know, the top issue over the last 20 years and how that's shifted, it does always tend to be an issue that people from across the political spectrum all agree, even if they disagree on why it's a problem and how you would fix it. They all kind of agree right. this is a problem, which right. is why something like, say, immigration can consist pretty consistently these days be toward, if not at, the top of the list for Republicans, but is not cracking the top of the list overall. It's like up in a top tier, but it's not the top issue for Democrats. For Democrats, things like health care are going to be higher up the list. But if they don't register that much for Republicans, if if the two parties each have very different ideas of what the top issues even are, then in that sense, it really does make sense to me that something like it's just government would rise to the top. Because right. kind of everybody can say that's a problem. Right. We're very united in that. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, for these questions is what are, what's the actual question about? Is it here? It's the top problem facing the country. Is it the top thing you want to see Congress do, which is slightly different, or what's going to be the most important issue to you when you're thinking about your vote for whatever. I mean, this poll is consistent in terms of what it's asking. But if you're comparing, you know, different outlets who have a similar kind of question, it's important to make sure you're make, you know, comparing apples to apples and what the question is about. I've seen and I've, I've criticized this before where they have a question like, what do you think is the most important issue facing women? And they'll ask women and they're asking women, what do they think about what is it for women, you know, as opposed to asking for you and then saying, OK, we've talked to all a bunch of women and they all say here's the most important issue for them. And therefore, we've now decided what you know, we've learned what the most important issue is for women rather than ask you, what do you think the most important issue is for somebody else? You know, not you, women more broadly, not just you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this does not do any of those things. This is just most important issue facing the U.S. right now. But those questions, depending on how you ask them, can can get slightly different answers. Um, you know, if we were asking about a state, what's most important issue facing the state, we would see something that is not on this list, which is, you know, transportation, roads, bridges, that kind of thing, infrastructure. If you were asking about a state, you'd probably see that a little yep. bit higher. And I just want to say shout out to the uh, the researchers at Gallup who go through and code these open ends. So yeah. this is a dipping into polling methodology world uh, briefly, but an open end is just a question that you get asked in a survey where they're, they're not saying choose one of the following options or do you approve or disapprove? I mean, that's closed ended. Like right. you have to give one of those answers. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Question mark. Or what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate or vanilla? Yeah, that's the difference between closed and open ended. But if you give an open ended answer or you have an open ended question, it means people need to go through and read all of those yeah. answers and decide what categories to put them in. So here with Gallup, I mean, they've got a bunch of categories that you know, so, okay, so they've got 2% of people who say lack of respect for each other is the top issue. But then you've got 4% that say unifying the country is the top issue. How are you making that judgment call between unifying the country and lack of respect for each other? Or maybe when someone says unifying the country, what they really are talking about is race relations, but you don't know that because they didn't say that. Right. So it's this is a very hard task, and there's no one 100% right way to do it. And especially if so many of your responses are around something that is 
amorphous government, poor leadership decline. Right. I, I just think they can't get anything done. I mean, figuring out what those categories should look like and how you're going to sort those right, like you money know, and hundreds politics. of responses. Like, where would that be if you were complaining about money and politics, for example? You know? Right. Um, so always, anytime I see that there's an open-ended question that people have had to code, as someone who has been the coder before, who's had to read through the open ends, um, they're really interesting to read through on surveys. I mean, there's some strange stuff that's in there from time to time. It can be entertaining. Um, but it's also, it's hard and you're making judgment calls. And so anyhow, just a little methodology note. Kudos to all y'all out there coding open ends. Yeah. It's, we stand um, with you in solidarity. Yeah, that's a uh, tough job. Tough job. Um, okay. 2020 Democratic primary. Kristen, uh, <laughs> is my time to talk? No, I um, I saw some, I, you know, I saw something about a Republican primary candidate poll. Um, so this was Maryland, the Goucher poll, which is so like, are they testing Larry Hogan stuff? They're testing Larry Hogan, and it was in the Washington Post. It was you know covered in a lot of places. So the, you know the Goucher poll does a you know pretty regular strong poll throughout the state of whatever's going on in the legislature and what's happening in statewide politics. And they asked, um, uh, do you think Larry Hogan should challenge Trump in the Republican primary? Something like that. I don't know if that was the exact question wording. And I was amazed. I wasn't amazed by the answer. It was like two to one oppose. He should not. But what I was amazed is that it was basically identical across party, that there was no difference between D, I and R, like um, like essentially no difference, which I found, you know, unusual. If you had to think like, what is the unifying issue of our time? <laughs> you would not think it would be Larry Hogan should not challenge Trump in the primary. I mean, I guess Republicans are like, no, nobody should challenge Trump in the primary. He is incredible. And Democrats were like, Larry Hogan shouldn't do anything. And he should be know, governing our state. He shouldn't be sitting out this mess. <laughs> he should be doing nothing, you know, and then independents are like, whatever. I also oppose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you had a th- about a third across the board. Fascinating. Support. I know, right? It's very interesting. Well, the more interesting primary is going to be the Democratic side. Oh, yes. Unless... As I continue to maintain, there is a 5% chance that Trump just decides, eh, I'm good here. I'm going to go play golf and walks away. I, I'm i just telling you, when that happens, we're going to dig up all these clips and it'll be the first time I've predicted anything correctly on this show <laughs> in the last five years. No. Um, the So the DNC. So polls are uh, a way that networks can decide yeah. who to let on their debate stage. As you may recall from four years ago, the networks were... D- was that really four years ago? It feels. Oh my god! I don't know. It feels like I don't know if it feels longer ago or more. Four recent. doesn't feel right, but I don't know if it's closer to like one or ten. Yeah, like so, something about four years ago does not. We feel We were right. also innocent then, but yeah, I mean, and remember, so we had Lee Marigoff on, and he was unhappy that. I recorded that episode from my hotel in Cleveland yeah. because that was where the Fox debate, the uh, Megyn Kelly Fox debate was about to whoa. go down. Oh, man. That's yeah, like, like Beckett, baby Beckett was like screaming in the background. I remember that. That too. And was, I was like, like the last podcast that? from that side of like the timeline rip. Like yeah. before we I wonder what our I wonder what the pollster sounds like on Earth, too, like uh, in the other timeline. Anyhow. Yeah. So, yeah, we talked to Lee Mirangoff. The millions about, of like, listeners. Here is, how, <laughs> here is how. Why not? Polls should and should not be used. You know, they they measure pounds, not ounces. So right. if somebody's at. 
3.3% in the average and one's at 2.8% in the average, like that doesn't mean that 3.3 should be in and 2.8 should be out. Like that doesn't feel right. Right. Um, and so people were doing all kinds of crazy viral things in order to just, you know, go up a point. So they were at the big debate, they didn't not the, the junior card, the junior JV show. debate. Yeah. Did anybody ever Carly Fiorina? She was the only one that ever got like promoted out of the. Hmm. Like, did anybody ever? Besides, I think she went from undercard to big kids table. Maybe I don't remember. I mean, and, like Christy fell the other direction. I, Maybe I don't know. Um, I don't remember. But the Democratic side is likely to have a lot of people running for president. Same problem. You can't have 50 people on stage all at once. So what they're going to do is they're going to limit the first debates to 20 candidates split out over two nights. Um, NBC, MSNBC, Telemundo will host one in June. CNN will get one in July. You can get on the stage through either polling or fundraising. So you can already imagine the... Email lists getting the like, give us fifty dollars or we're going to be in the sad debate. <laughs> but actually, there there isn't. There is also a likelihood that there won't be a sad debate. Right? That this is not going to be divided under card and big kids table. That it will be more like, ran you know, random assortment. And so, it, in a way, it'll be like the World Cup where they just randomly pick what group you're in and you can be in the group of death. And so one will be the debate of death every time. Um, So the DNC says that a candidate may qualify for the stage by reaching 1% support in three separate polls, including national or early nominating state polls. For the first debate, candidates seeking to qualify through the fundraising method must receive donations from 65,000 people in at least 20 so you can't different just states. Give yourself money to meet the fundraising. Well, that's good. That's a good way to prevent pe- rich people from gaming the system. Um, but if more than 20 candidates run for president, the field will be winnowed using a methodology that gives preference to candidates meeting both the polling and fundraising thresholds. This is going to be crazy. As we like to call it, Exciting. It's a real demonstration of enthusiasm on our side. So very quick uh, touching in on the polls that do exist on the Democratic primary side. Um, Emerson put out a Democratic primary poll. This is national. It was conducted last week. They showed Joe Biden at 27 percent, followed by Bernie Sanders, who has officially announced as of today or yesterday. Yesterday. Someday. No, it was... um it was not yesterday. It was the day before. It was Tuesday. Tuesday. A day this week. <laughs> time time is such a blur. Uh, Bernie Sanders, 17%. I, and I'm confused only because I don't know what today is. <laughs> but I, I know think it today was is not Thursday. yesterday. It, it is February 21st today. It was the day before. And I, yes. And so I know this because the, there was a video that my husband had a part in for folks who were... Mm-hmm. Been with us for four years, would know this, um, would already know this. And that same day, he then went to go visit my dad and who's in like a rehab facility and like, you know, tough sledding for my dad. And so Jules spent part of his uh, Bernie Sanders launch day like holding my dad's hand because I was at the office that day. I know. Um, Anyway, so that's that's how uh, that's how it went down in my house. Anyway, the polling I mean, this is the, you know, 
I guess there was a couple things for the polls. So the Emerson polls, like the general election shows, like all the general election matchups. Um, and I think so you can see the Howard Schultz, Trump versus Kamala Harris versus Howard Schultz, Trump versus Joe Biden versus Howard Schultz. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the fact that all the in the two way, they have a variety of two. How many two ways do they have? Or seven Trump's below 50 percent in all the two ways. Yeah, and all these other candidates are above 50%. We've talked about this before. Not all these candidates are, are well-known across the country. They may be one day, but they're not now, all of them, um, You know, with general election voters. But yet, they all have 50%. There's no real difference between you know, Beto's 53 and Booker's 51% in these two ways. I mean, they're basically the same. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, there are a lot of candidates, in, you know, in the race. There are a lot of folks who are excited about the Democratic primary because, you know, these numbers show up along with 44% maybe higher for Trump, not, you know, not good for him overall. His approval rating that we talked about at the top of the show, it's a sign of, you know, a president with ha- obviously having some vulnerabilities. So in this, uh, I mean, I I think the Schultz matchups are interesting, too, insofar as Donald Trump remains well below 50 percent in all of the three ways, as you'd expect. You've got another person in the mix taking away from both. Um, But it does seem to be in a Trump versus someone who is less well known to the national audience right now, like Kamala Harris. It is good for Trump. Trump winds up 45, 43, 12 ahead in that three-way matchup. But against someone like Biden, Biden stays at 51%. Schultz actually draws more from Trump. So it's that to me was interesting. Like there's there was this whole debate who is Howard Schultz going to draw votes from most? Um it depends on who the Democrats nominate potentially or at least at this point where there's lower name ID for some of the Democrats. It does seem to be it helps Trump if it's a lower name ID Democrat. It hurts Trump if it's someone like Joe Biden. I mean, that's if we assume that a national poll of Democrats a year out is predictive of anything. And which that's he, not how we elect presidents. Yes. So as we learned in 2016. Well, and it's also not how the primary works. And nobody, you know, only well, John those, Delaney's those, on the air, you know, in the, of the were, Democratic primary. Sure. Oh, well, so, of, uh, but of the of yeah. the general election yeah. three-way, those were also of, right. of the national sample. Right. But yeah, you have, I mean, in this, in the Emerson poll, my, my boy, Mayor Pete, he's only, he's at 0%. So Mayor Pete's going to need to get, get more than that if he wants to be in the debate. Um, but otherwise, I mean, there is, let's see. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. I'm like counting this right now. Cory Booker's five, eight, Klobuchar six, Beto seven, Sherrod Brown, Michael Bloomberg, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro. Oh, okay. So that still only gets us to 12. So there's still plenty of room. Guys, Democrats out there, there's still plenty of room for you in this primary. That's only 12 people there that have 1% or more. Yeah. Dive on in. The water's great. <laughs> Do it. Um, okay. Oh, and the the, the last but not least. Um, so Gallup had been tracking and has been tracking for ever and ever and ever political ideology. They're the ones that showed that Republicans have been a conservative party where at least 75 percent of Republicans call themselves conservative. Going back to the 90s, that back in 1994, about a quarter of Democrats called themselves liberal, a quarter called themselves conservative, and now a majority call themselves liberal. Um, But they've also sort of examined differences in policy views among Democrats by ideology trended over time. Yeah. That's a lot. It's like a lot of different ways we're breaking this out. But so, for instance, 
Do you prefer a government-run healthcare system? So for liberal Democrats, 75% say yes. For moderate Democrats, 53% say yes. For conservative Democrats, 42% say yes. So really, your the ideological breaks all still kind of hold about the same policy positions. It's just that now the makeup of who holds what label has changed within the party. Um, something like, let's see, uh, global warming will pose a serious threat to you in your lifetime. That's something that has increased for Democrats of all types, liberal, conservative, um, and moderate. Something like same-sex marriages should be legally valid. That one, 88% of liberal Democrats say yes. I'm actually surprised it's not higher. Um, 70% of moderate Democrats say yes. So some of these, it shows like an interesting trend line where Democrats of all types have changed their views in one direction or the other over time. But in other cases, it really shows stability, sort of suggesting that if you're seeing changes in the top line numbers of what do Democrats think, it has more to do with just the ideological makeup of the party changing or more people saying, I'm okay with the liberal label. Yeah, right. And I mean, I guess, you know, there are a couple of ways to look at it at this, too. I mean, one is, well, first of all, these charts don't show they don't reflect the change. You can't see on the chart the right. changing percentage of liberal versus moderate versus conservative, and which, you know, is fine. But it's just a it's just something to note looking at this that doesn't you can't see from this that. Liberals are now half of Democrats and they weren't before. That's sort of the first thing. So you don't see sort of the relative size of the Democratic Party and their views toward all these issues. Um, one. Two, you know, there's this whole thing like Democrats are divided. You know, Republicans are divided. Democrats are divided. Everybody's divided. You know, uh, you can look at this and say, well, I don't know if Democrats are so divided. There's a lot of agreement on some of these issues, some more than others. It, you know, depends on which ones you're talking, you know, which ones you're talking about. Again, knowing what the percent of the of Democrats that had each of these views, I think would be helpful way to look at this. But you know, like are people pretty united on marijuana or people pretty united on government run health care? You know, if you look at moderate and uh, liberal Democrats, um, you know, the doctor assisted suicide question. I've talked about that before. I know it's tracking Gallup's been asking it that way for a long time. So, you know, would we ask it this way? I know the Goucher poll asked that because it's happening in the legislature in Maryland, but I don't know if I can't remember if they asked it this way. Um, So, you know, some of these questions have been asked and are tracked for a long time. Would you have a different set of questions if you were trying to figure out how the Democratic Party what they agreed on or disagreed on, would you have a different set of questions? So there, there are some additional things I would think about when looking at this. But it's for me, I see some of this as a sign that, you know, maybe Democrats are not really that divided or on some things are not that divided. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some new polling around uh, Americans feeling divided over would they want their child to marry someone of the other party? Uh, We will dig into that and more coming up soon. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups, it would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. 
Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back. So PRI, when they release something, they really get um, get under the hood. And so they have a new poll out, American Democracy in Crisis. No big deal, just American Democracy in Crisis. <laughs> like Pretty startling title, The Fate of Pluralism in a Divided Nation, where they ask about a variety of different um topics about how frequently do you interact with people who do not share your race or religion or political party, sexual orientation. Um, They just look at different ways that people kind of sort themselves and communicate with folks who are similar or different to them. Um, And uh, the place where people feel that they frequently interact with somebody who doesn't share their race or ethnicity, that's more common. Political party, just slightly less common. And I I think that's consistent with some other stuff we've seen from Pew. There's a big difference by party here in how you would feel. Would you feel unhappy if your son or daughter married someone who was of a different party? Pretty striking differences there. And I think it looks like Democrats would be more unhappy if they're child married someone of the opposite party than Republicans would be, which is consistent with what we've seen in other polls where Republicans are a little bit more likely to know somebody or feel okay about somebody who voted for Clinton or was a Democrat. Democrats are like, you know, no. Yeah, I think wasn't it was either Pew or Gallup that did that question. Um, could you ever respect someone who voted for, and it was right. like, for Trump voters, it was like uh, 40-ish percent said that they could never respect someone who voted for Clinton. But for Clinton voters, it was like a significant majority yeah. said I could never respect someone who voted for Trump. Um, yeah, this is, I, I saw on, I think this was on Twitter, at Senator Soshana, who is not in fact a United States senator, but enjoys... Would, uh, she that is so her thing is so funny with what and like how do people end up tweeting her like real questions and for real every senators? time people like, tweet that, her I things she responds and is like please send a check for twenty thousand dollars so to my funny. office and people are like you're abusing the campaign finance system it's like <laughs> she's not a real senator like what where what list did they look up that then she appeared they're like oh i need to contact a senator and they're like i mean it says sloth committee sloth subcommittee <laughs> chair or whatever i mean honestly so you could convince there i'm almost certain she has a like sloth purple caucus. hair highlights like she's not a senator like she's not you know she's just not kirsten cinema could get purple highlights tomorrow and it wouldn't phase me that could you never know I mean, she's she is a stylish like, adventurous I, lady yes no i <laughs> more senators should have purple highlights but like she is clearly not a senator and her <laughs> she is chair of the sloth subcommittee which is not a real subcommittee but it might be a caucus because there's a caucus for everything. I'm going to find out after this show, is there a sloth caucus? And if there is not, how can they get one started? So um, she wanted to know, who are the 2% of Republicans that would be unhappy if their child married a Republican? Mm. And who are the 3% of Democrats who would be unhappy if their son or daughter married someone who was a Democrat? Um, could it just be that they They're would be confused. mad that their child has gotten married at all 
Are they maybe they're just like a little confused by the question? Maybe. So I thought that was just an uh, an interesting way to to view things. Would you be unhappy if your son or daughter married someone who is of a different race or ethnicity? For Republicans, it's one in four say that yes, they would be. Um, and I am fascinated by this because these this tends to be the type of question where people are understating yeah. um, their views on these things because it's, you know, it's not socially acceptable no. to say something like that, um, that it is, this is social desirability bias. Uh, so, I mean, it really sort of makes you wonder, God, what does, what's the real number? Um, I, you know, would be somewhat or very unhappy if their son or daughter married someone who belongs to a different religious group. Um, numbers are kind of similar there. Um, 10% uh, of Democrats, 28% of Republicans. So uh, lots lots there. Then there's partisan divides on what does it mean to be truly American. So some things there's agreement on. Over 90% of Democrats and Republicans say respecting American political institutions and laws and believing in individual freedoms like freedom of speech is essential to be truly American. But being able to speak English, 94% of Republicans say yes, 78% of Democrats, so still two-thirds, or pardon me, two-thirds, I can't do math, three-quarters, three-quarters. A lot, a clear majority. Say say yes to that. Um, Accepting people of diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds. 86% 86% of Republicans say that. I, I, that's the sort of thing where I think Republicans get accused of not thinking that that so there's is. There's some percentage of Republicans who say, yes, this is what it means to be truly American. However, I would be upset if my child married someone of a different race. There's some like. Yep. That, that there's a like, a, there's I'm a glad our society is diverse, but people people do think differently about macro yes. and micro levels. Yes. Um, uh, then when you get into things like believing in God, though, big difference. Um, believing that the capitalis- that capitalism is the best economic system. Does that mean is that required to be truly American? Allow me to pause and just say that as an ardent supporter of capitalism and someone who feels religious vibes when she watches Margaret Thatcher videos on YouTube, I'm not even sure that like being American means you have to have a certain economic viewpoint. But. Maybe I'm overthinking the question. Anyhow, 79% of Republicans think that you have to believe capitalism is the best economic system in order to be truly American. 46% of Democrats say the same. Um, And being of Western European heritage. Hmm. Guys. Don't pick that one. Guys. Don't pick it. 26% of Republicans, 13% of Democrats did. That's. (laughs) <laughs> wrong <laughs> cough button you need to we try not to inject our wrong, opinion on this show wrong answer. too often but i feel pretty okay with us opining <laughs> that it is not okay to define american as that's having not the right answer Western european heritage yeah not correct um and then are these institutions bringing people together or pushing them apart uh political parties 78 percent of people say the part parties are pushing us apart 64% say the media is pushing uh, the, us apart. And by the way, in my debacle of a segment on Morning Joe this morning, this was kind of the point that I began the segment by making. So for those of you who do not watch Morning Cable News and did and missed this, I got asked about the Coast Guard lieutenant who was caught um, sort of planning a horrific terrorist attack where he was going to go after politicians and media outlets. And these were, you know, people who were outspoken opposed to the president. He lived in Silver Spring, right? Yeah, there's, there's like scary evidence that this was a guy who was inspired it, it, bad things, right? So they asked me on air about this. And the question that Mika teed up was kind of about 
um, you know, people being mad at the media. And I, my point was like, yeah, lots of people don't like the media. There's a big difference between not liking the media and Googling how do I go shoot Congress people, which is like apparently something this guy did or something like it. Um, but then like the segment went totally off the rails. Go to YouTube, find it or don't, maybe don't. It won't make your day better. But if you want to watch me, like, per- like nevertheless, she persisted, Ing, uh, <laughs> have at it. Anyhow, lots of people think that the media is, in fact, pushing people apart. And it is not just Republicans that feel that way. Yeah. Yikes. Well, I guess these numbers are or feeling, you know, high numbers feeling pushing people apart on lots of these, even the ones where people say a plurality say they're bringing people together, you know, not insignificant numbers, say, pushing people apart for some of these other more popular or, you know, I would say more popular, but more, you know, benign, benignly viewed institutions like workplaces, which is sort of ill-defined, right? Workplaces, which could be kind of anything or the military, Um, public schools, you have a fifth, say, pushing people apart, a quarter, say colleges and universities are pushing people apart. I mean, it goes along with lines with the with the Gallup number that people feel, the you know, dysfunction, people don't respect each other. All these things are kind of on people's minds. Um, so the other big like long term trend data or long like it's not about the news of the day. It's about kind of longer term cultural shifts is Pew now has some some more data about teens. I assume this survey was related to some of the stuff they did with Gen Z because you're kind of interviewing mm. overlapping groups. Um, but this is just looking at the teen component. It's <laughs> about anxiety and depression. 13 to 7 year olds. 13 to 17 year olds. 17 this was conducted olds. last fall. Um, and it asked, do you believe that the following are a major problem, a minor problem, or not a problem? Anxiety and depression, 70% think of this as Aww. a major problem. 55% bullying is a major problem. 51% drug addiction is a major problem. Um, gangs, teen pregnancy, those were the sorts of things that I feel like in the 90s everybody was freaked out about. Like the kids are all getting involved in gangs. And, and like those things have fallen off as major concerns. Now, I think really like in the social media era, the ability to be bullied constantly, to like not be able to shut it off when you go home um, and to have that sort of filling in additional anxiety like this is clearly showing up in the data. I do not envy people who are teenagers these days. I, I cannot fathom what it would have been like to have gone through middle school and have social media quantifying that, for you I mean, how popular har- you are har- or what horrible. other people are doing. I mean, it would be a nightmare so yeah uh, I'm, I'm sure so i mean there was a this american life episode where they interviewed a couple tween girls about how they think about all the different likes on instagram and listening to them talk about it i mean you wanted to just like sob it was heartbreaking and they were not upset they're like okay and then i press like and then if she doesn't you like and then i do th- i mean they were <laughs> with this like incredible amount of detail and thought and mental energy on it it was just painful to listen to um i mean i think for some of these like anxiety and depression and bullying we also talk about them a lot more and shine a light on them more so perhaps that that's part of the reason these are elevated these aren't sort of like secret things you just have to kind of get over they are things you are now a little bit more able to talk about and, and feel safe talking about them so that could be part of it. But I've had folk I've had women in focus groups, you know, cry talking about their kids being bullied or their kids mm-hmm. feeling anxious. I mean, I I mean, f- for sure I've heard this come up 
multiple times in focus groups is a thing that people worry about, not even that being the topic of the group. That's just a thing that people mentioned as a problem or a challenge they're facing. So one of the things, the ways in which this study popped up in my social feeds was on kind of Reformacon Twitter, like the... Uh, I don't even want to try to define Reformacon right now because it has like eight different definitions. But basically conservatives who have vague, I would say vaguely socially conservative views insofar as they think that like families are generally important and we should be, you know, trying to support them. And so there are varieties of Reformacons who are bullish on things like child tax credits or child, you know. Right. So it's it's a it's a wide and varied movement. But they were highlighting this figure about what do teens think is important for them or will be important to them as an adult. Right. And the anxiety was that there is now there is a a an income gap on whether marriage and now having children is something people want to do. Um, that for young for young people coming from privileged households, um, a majority of them say, yeah, one day it's going to be extremely important to me to get married. And, you know, 43% say it'll be important for me to have kids. But for kids coming from poor households, less than a third say either of those things um, is something that they think will be important to them. And they were sort of like, look, marriage and kids is ha- like is either having a PR problem with like poor kids that they just think like having kids and getting married just doesn't make sense. And and I mean, this has all kinds of societal implications if people aren't building families and what have you. And um, so that was just, that was an eye popping number that was getting Mm. a lot of traffic in Reformicon Twitter land. Mm. Right. It's a a question of, you know, not seeing the benefit, you know, having different, you know, different experiences with your own family. I mean, it could be a variety of different things. Um, Interesting. Yeah, no, I see that here, right? So you have among kids who are in households with uh, household income under 30, 31% say getting married would be very important to them, extremely or very important compared to 56% in of kids in households with over 75,000 household income. Um, there were some gender differences in some of these things, but they were not the only real Dramatic. big one was on how uh, important is it for you to make yeah, money. Yeah, which I guess is not a surprise, I suppose. Men were more – placed more important. And so the question is – I mean, we don't know from this, right? Is it that men feel like it's okay to say that they care about making a lot of money and women feel that they can't say that? Do they secretly feel the same way or do they actually – is this a real yeah. gender difference? And, and in the poll, more young women than young men say they expect that they will go on to college. So there is there's like another metric about expectations of right. future success or what have you or plans where women are more likely than men to say yes. But fascinating, fascinating divide there as well. But my heart goes out to anyone who's a teenager today. As I leave as I leave behind the 18 to 34 <laughs> year old cross tab, the one that comes right after teenagerdom, <laughs> I can tell you. Teenagers, once you cross wow. into that 18 Now when you put it this way, my mind is now down. fully blown that you were in the same category as teenagers. I didn't fully – like I didn't really wrap my mind around that until just now. Well, that may also suggest perhaps the 18 to 34-year-old crosstab is not a super useful crosstab because it's lumping in me – with, Me with right. someone who is literally a senior in high school right now. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Big differences. Um, but it, I guess it would should, it should be reassuring for folks who just want to kind of trash kids today that 
about one in 10, roughly, say that becoming famous is going to be extremely or very important to them. Although there probably is social pressure to say, no, that's not important to me. That number may be a little bit higher than 11%, but nonetheless, it is lowest on this list. So, so last, speaking of famous, God, that was a weak transition, but at yeah, least I tried. That's what we got. At least I tried. Uh, the Oscars, IMDb has done what I am sure is an extremely scientific poll of people who go to IMDb. Uh, for what is, I assume this is what do you want to have as best picture? Bohemian Rhapsody, crowd favorite, uh, followed by Roma, and then Black Panther, and then A Star is Born. And then in fifth place is The Green Book. Vice, down at eight. I mean, did you see any of these movies? Black Panther. I saw Black Panther too. Loved it. I can't believe I, have, I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody yet because I, I love not, Queen. But I mean, I've heard kind of mixed things about the movie. So... Yeah, I mean, but it was it was beloved by the uh, box 1300 office. The people. box office was way into it. They so Bohemian Rhapsody tops this list. Um, Star is Born is on. Like I need to watch Star is Born and yeah. Black Klansman and Vice. Those are the ones. Those are my assignments. To um, myself, I I kind of want to watch the favorite because I love Emma Stone so very much, and she's in it, and I think she's nominated for it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I will be watching the telecast on Sunday night and sure, but I will mostly be watching the red carpet beforehand. Yeah. I don't have any, I mean, sure. I guess I'm, I mean, it's not as fun to watch it if you've seen nothing, if you have stuff basically stopped. That's why you the watch the red carpet for the dresses. Yeah, that's true. The most important part, obviously, obviously. Right. Okay. <laughs> so what's on the trend line this week? Uh, trend line this week, I am going to be talking to, uh, Greg Lukian- Lukianoff, whose name I'm butchering, sorry, um, one of the co-authors of The Coddling of the American Mind, which is a book that everyone should read. Don't let the title turn you off. This is not like some right-wing book about how the kids today are all snowflakes. They do a really good dive into what makes kind of Gen Z very different from millennials and like the environment they grew up in and why they think about social problems in a different way. It's fascinating. Okay. I'm excited for it. And then I believe I'm going to be talking to my friend Emily Tish Sussman about the work that she has done with reaching out to younger voters. So I am super excited. I am hoping that we will have her on for Saturday as well. Cool. Okay. Okay, so variety of things to be anxious about this week, whether or excited if you're looking at 2020, um, and just a few days left to get caught up for the Oscars, and always enough time to get caught up on the pollsters. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie Omero and at K Soltis Anderson, or at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.